When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi folks, be sure to visit my website at dr-history.com for a short personal video message, to listen to the latest stories, and to leave a comment. Dr. History, good morning. Good morning, Zeb. How are you, my friend? I'm doing good. Doing great. You got some thank yous? I do. Uh, I want to say hi to Jay over in the Twin Cities. Now, when I say Twin Cities, I'm thinking... Minneapolis, St. Paul. Yeah. Is that... Or isn't there some Twin Cities over in Washington, too? Uh, Tri-Cities. Tri-Cities, that's right. Okay, so Twin Cities. Anyway, he has a master's in history, and he listens to our show, and he likes the things we talk about, some things he's never heard, which we hope are true. That's really true on this program. There's some (laughs) things you ain't never heard. (laughs) But anyway, he had some suggestions for a show that I'm going to check into and do a little research and uh, possibly do a show on one of the things that he suggested. Okay. So last week we talked about Doc Zoll. Uh, I remember that. Yeah. And he was yeah. the buffalo hunter. Yep. Today we're going to talk about Doc Crumbine. We're going to stay with the docs. We're going to stay with the doc, but this is a different kind of doc. Okay, you're okay. right. Okay, go for it. So the words, quote, don't spit on the sidewalk is inscribed on the face of a sidewalk paving brick. I'm going to have you back that microphone back up, up just a little bit more. How's uh, that? That's better. Okay. So... The words don't spit on the sidewalk are inscribed on the face of a sidewalk paving brick, and it's a living memorial to a country doctor who walked the streets of Dodge City with Bat Masterson, and he had a six-shooter slung at his side. And it was don't spit on the don't sidewalk? Spit on, and you'll, you'll see what I mean here. i got to hear this. <laughs> we'll get to it. So Samuel J. Crumbine was born in a log cabin in uh, Pennsylvania in 1862. And he was born a month after his dad actually died in a Confederate prison during the the war there. But uh, while watching a local pharmacist mix prescriptions, Crumbine decided to become a doctor. Now, he saved enough money to enroll at the Cincinnati College of Medicine and Surgery, but he had to support himself by uh, circulating handbills advertising Piso's Consumption Cure. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about that. I he hope managed, we do. He managed only one year in medical school, which was not unusual. But So he headed west. He found a job in a pharmacy in Spearville, Kansas, which is only 18 miles from Rip Roaring Dodge City. Have you been to Spearville? I've been to Dodge City. Okay. So this is just a few miles out of there. Yeah, but Dodge City is a fun town. Yeah. Well, it was. <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that a little. <laughs> but the town had no resident doctor, so Crumbine filled the gap. And he soon started taking calls from Dodge City. And in 1885, Dodge City was considered by some to be the roughest town in the West. Yeah. A Chicago newspaper said, quote, 
There is no law west of Chicago and no God west of Dodge City. What year was it in its biggest prominence? Do you well, remember? we're talking 1885 right now. Yeah. And I'm not sure how many years it was kind uh, of... Didn't the cattle industry really start to make Dodge prominent probably yes. about 1876? Let me show you a picture here, Zeb. Yeah. Now, this is... A picture of oh Dodge City oh. Uh, back in... Oh, there's the Long Branch. There's Miss Kitty right yes. there with Matt Dillon. And there's a dog. Yeah. 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 Anyway, it's kind of a fun old picture that shows the general store and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, so after three years of uh, homespun medical practice, Crumbine returned to Cincinnati for some additional training. Uh-huh. He graduated at the top of his class. At the same time, he met a gal by the name of Catherine, and they got married, and they returned to Dodge. Now, Dodge sprawled all over the Kansas River bottom, and the business street, referred to as Front Street, was divided down the center by railroad tracks. And that picture I just showed you is a picture of Front Street. So that would be right across from Marshall Dillon's office. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You've been there, and you were probably there in 1885. Thank you. You're welcome. Dr. Crumbine's first outside call set the pace for his future work. A cowhand summoned the doctor to the aid of his boss, and this was like 35 miles from town, and he had broken his leg. Well, the doctor, Crumbine, went out there and he set the leg. The doctor was then held at gunpoint until the next day because the rancher wanted to be sure there were no complications to set in. Oh, my. Later on, the rancher sent a generous payment in gold to make up for the doctor's discomfort. I see. And usually, however, you know, payment came in chicken eggs, meat, or farm produce, uh, anything that might be in season. So this Dr. Crumrine, Crumbine, Crumbine was yeah. the same as what was portrayed on the TV show Gunsmoke with Doc Adams. Somewhat, yeah. Yeah. But, do you remember Doc Adams' oh, yeah. first name? I do not. Galen. Galen. Okay. Yeah. I would never guess that. Well, anyway, Crumbine, he gained self-confidence, and some people considered him a little bit aggressive. He dressed in a Prince Albert coat and a top hat, a plug hat, they called it, which all good doctors wore. And with a six-gun at his side, he made regular visits to this place I showed you, Front Street, Uh to treat emergency cases. Well, the doctor had no qualms in telling off his patients, as well as those involved, about the error of their ways. Well, the residents, uh, both good and bad. Let me see that. Can I please, while you're talking? Sure. I want to take a look at that picture again. Yeah. So the residents both, uh, you know, accepted his bullying, so to speak. And one guy that had got shot was given a real dressing down for not having the good sense to at least duck. Instead, he got shot. (laughs) So anyway, medical uh, calls took Crumbine far from home, riding horseback and by buggy. He covered thousands of miles, many times turning the horse loose just to find his way home. So he'd just fall asleep, uh, and the horse obviously knew how to get him back home. Anyway, at one time, there was no dentist to serve Dodge City, so Doc naturally substituted when it was possible. The story's told that one day, a young cowboy came in with a terrible toothache after much prying and pulling and uh, probably a lot of pain. A tooth was extracted. However, it was the wrong tooth. Now, after kind of lambasting uh, the doctor from the patient, Doc proceeded to replace the tooth and as far as is known, it was a successful replant of the tooth back in the guy's head. When you make decisions for your company, you always look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing and shipping to do, 
Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your process to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, books, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart if you sell online. Schedule package pickups through the dashboard and automatically see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers with rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are, even on the go. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other business decision makers with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Now, Dr. Crumbine's first venture into the field of public health was, strangely enough, a campaign for the eradication of alcoholism among babies. There were literally hundreds of patent medicines on sale which were advertised to relieve pain and prevent babies from crying. Mm. They also professed to cure everything from dandruff to ingrown toenails and could be purchased for about 10 cents to a dollar for a bottle of this miracle cure. Ah, yes. Now, as far as the baby was concerned, this was not false advertising. You see, the crying stopped because the baby was happily drunk. (laughs) After a few tablespoons of the stuff. Okay, most of these curatives... Mom, mom. Can I have some more? You know, most of these curatives and excelsiors were 50% alcohol. Oh, my God. And in most snake bite cases, Crumbine treated, he had to treat the patient for acute alcohol consumption as well. Because, you know, once you got bit by a snake, you... Yeah. Wanted to have something to dull the pain. After you had a couple of those shots, you needed to look for some more snakes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, his second endeavor after the baby thing uh, in bettering public health was in conjunction with restaurants. And there was a guy named Fred Harvey who had a restaurant. And Crumbine had noted that milk was dispensed to the patrons from a pitcher. And he felt this was a health hazard. So he approached Harvey, the restaurant guy, and it was concluded that all milk at the Harvey houses would be served in sealed bottles. And it's believed that this was the first use of a container like that in a restaurant. And so it was just really it was just healthier. I wonder how clean those restaurants were. Well, and that's the question. You know, they just served milk in a pitcher. And yeah. obviously just came in from being milked. Or, but what about the food itself? Uh, you know, I think they soon learned which places to go and not go. Oh, you know. yeah. So anyway, uh, an exhaustive campaign was launched directed especially at patent medicines. A bulletin was issued regularly to keep the public informed of the findings. The first tested was a shaker neurogen, they called it. And it was guaranteed as an absolute cure for all nervous troubles. And it was found to be very effective because it was 75% alcohol. Here we go again. And contained nothing else of benefit. Can't get out of the chair. Uh, yeah. A number of formerly nervous individuals who were interviewed <laughs> admitted consuming at least a bottle a day. <laughs> so another one, Cook's Gold Bond Oil claimed to cure 18 diseases, was found to be basically turpentine, and could have been doubled as a paint thinner. Oh. Another one, Burke's White... It didn't kill him? Well, I guess not. Burke's White Pine Balsam was a cure for chest diseases, (laughs) relied heavily on chloroform to give it strength. So, you know, once you passed out, I guess you didn't feel much. Yeah. Yeah. 
Now, a number of foods manufactured outside Kansas also kind of came under close scrutiny. 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 A well-known. You make any word up you want to. <laughs> a well-known brand of ginger snaps made in Chicago was found to contain straw, splinters of wood, and hair. One brand of pepper turned out to be 90% ground-up olive pits. It wasn't even pepper. It was ground-up olive pits. Olive pits? I've <laughs> but never it looked heard black. You know, it looked like pepper. Uh-huh. Now, uh, Dr. Crumbine's first worldwide project was begun in 1905 with a crusade against the fly. Against the... The fly. Like You'll, in... The fly. Uh-huh. F-L-Y. You'll see what I mean. Okay. So, anyway, through observation, uh, Crumbine suspected there was a direct relationship between the fly and typhoid fever. Hmm. And he was determined to put an end to the pest, but his campaign was kind of having a hard time getting off the ground. So, one day, he was at a baseball game, and someone yelled, sacrifice fly. Somebody else yelled, swat that ball. And somebody else said, swat that fly. Okay, you might see where this is going. A few days later... Frank H. Rose presented the doctor with a crude contraption made of a yardstick and a piece of screen wire. Oh. Why not call it a fly swatter? There we go. And the fly swatter became a household necessity all over the world. I'm going to stop you and ask you right there, as a doctor yourself, and you've studied a lot of this kind of stuff, in the old days of the West, like uh, Dodge City or wherever, uh, what about all the outhouses that were right behind the businesses of the town and the typhoid problems and everything? That had, yeah. uh, on the water supply? I mean, come oh, yeah. on. Yeah, um, and, you know, one time Yellowstone River was actually the worst polluted river in the whole West, Really? Yeah, because, uh, you know, if you had a dead calf or whatever or sour milk, you just pour it in the river. Oh. And it it was one of the worst polluted uh, rivers in the West at one time. I didn't know that. Of course, you know, with time, they've cleaned everything up. Well, one would hope. Yeah, but the other thing you just mentioned about the outhouses, but consider the ranch houses, too, that were right next to the barns and the corrals and, uh, you know, the manure, the flies, everything. Uh, yeah. And, again, dead animals that were yeah. maybe just pulled out, out of the corral. So, yeah, flies were a, a, a huge problem. It's surprising they didn't have more problems. Right. And, you know, they didn't have screen doors. And so flies were in the house just as much as they were out in the barn. Yeah, really. And landing on your food and one thing or another. But once the flies were in their place, because, you know, people started getting fly swatters, uh, tuberculosis was next on his list to eradicate. So Crumbine was riding on a train one day, and he watched a couple of, and I'd never heard this term before, a couple of, quote, lungers, okay, guys that had tuberculosis, oh. as they were then known. And he was kind of at a loss as to what to do next. Well, while watching these two men, one of them got up and walked to the end of the car, in this train car, and he used the drinking cup, which hung by the water dispenser. Uh-oh. Okay. Shortly after, a little girl proceeded to walk up and do likewise and drink out of this same cup. Yeah. So he, he immediately jumped up, ran down the aisle, and he said, darn the common drinking cup. Darn. He said darn. Now, that was exactly, exactly the word he the used. the word he used. Darn the common drinking cup. Darn. And he threw the offending article out the window. Hmm. Threw it out. 
Now, in 1909, the public drinking cup was outlawed. The next obstacle was how to get how to dispense water to a thirsty public. So there was a guy by the name of Hugh Moore. He was born in Kansas, living in Boston, and he came up with an answer. Uh, it was as simple as the fly swatter. A small cone-shaped paper cup, okay, a disposable paper cup. Moore, in later years, became chairman of the board of the Dixie Cup Company. Well, there it was, hanging Dixie out. Dixie Cup. I just saw it coming right there. <laughs> you did not. Wow. <laughs> you had to wait for the punchline. I kind of, yeah. <laughs> okay, so Dr. Crumbine, what a guy. You know, he had to start a new campaign against tuberculosis with the slogan, which I started off with, quote, don't spit on the sidewalk. Oh. Okay. Okay. And with the help of a local brickmaker, he put the campaign directly in the public eye. He had the slogan imprinted on sidewalk bricks that they had in the sidewalks. Uh, and soon brick manufacturers all over eastern Kansas cooperated in this new campaign. And uh, so... How many of the frontier towns like that had bricks for sidewalks, though? That's a good question, and I'm going to guess probably most didn't, you know, until they got further west. That one didn't in the picture. No, not until, you know, probably, well, as I said, this was clear up in 1909, by now. Oh, okay. So by now, yeah, there were probably a lot of uh, uh, sidewalks. Did they go like, don't spit on the sidewalk on one brick, or did they go, don't walk a couple (laughs) spit? That's a good question, (laughs) and I don't know the answer. I'm going to guess it was all on one brick, but they were scattered along the whole sidewalk, you know. But uh, as the reported cases of this disease fell off in Kansas, other areas tried to keep up with with every new public health recommendation that Dr. Crumbine made. He he really was kind of ahead of his time. Oh, absolutely. You know, his fame spread, and much of his time was spent with uh, a lot of the national and international health meetings that he was asked to attend because he, he had ideas that, you know, which were always kind of looked at uh, kind of... Uh, with doubt, you know, like even back in the days when it was considered you should wash your, the doctor should wash their hands after they've been down cutting up a corpse in uh, anatomy, and then they'd go up and deliver a baby up on the third floor of a hospital. Oh, my, yeah. And as soon as they started uh, watching out for that, the mortality of baby deaths dropped considerably. We've got a caller with a question quickly. We're almost out of time. Go ahead, caller. Not a question, it's advice and things that I can remember when I was a kid. We hauled bricks to Wichita and places like that. And from Humboldt and Buffalo, they had on the paving bricks, do not spit on the sidewalk. Really? Well, good. I I appreciate you calling in. Thank you. Oh, my goodness, Doc. Thank you for that. Appreciate that. I knew somebody like Doc would call in. That's really good. I appreciate that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in 1911, he accepted the office of dean of the School of Medicine at the University of Kansas for four years. Uh, This gave him an opportunity to kind of train the young doctors who were, uh, you know, make sure they were getting the proper training. Yeah. But uh, he another time he t- undertook a, a nationwide drive uh, for the safe milk uh, pasteurization of milk, which, you know, where I mean, did he garner the information or trigger the idea about the public drinking cup and all that? I wonder where that came into his head. You know, just like I say, he was watching people drink out of the same cup and yeah. had to think, you know, that can't That's be not good. good. That's not good. You know. 
But uh, anyway, he published his autobiography in 1948 under the name of The Frontier Doctor. And eight years later, on July 10, 1954, Dr. Crumbine died at the, at the age of 91.